Well, we are in our final message in our series about unity this month. We've looked at unity through the lens of this statement, we were never meant to be alone. And we've also looked at things like identity, where your identity is found. Is it, is it found in Christ or is it found in the world? So a lot of times when we find our identity in the world, that's sometimes when we find ourselves most alone. We've looked at isolation, the things that cause us to, to be alone. Sometimes we do that to ourselves. Sometimes we don't. We looked at injury, what it's like to try to go through an injury or a time of hurt alone. We answered the question what it would look like if we filtered these things through that concept of we're never meant to be alone. And this morning is Family Sunday. I've asked Mitzi to come up this morning and share something with you all in just a minute, but I want to make it very clear. It's Family Sunday, but adults, this message is for you. I want you to know, though, all of our young people, if you're under the age of like 16, get your hands up real high. Let me see them. Let me see them. Hands up high. Hands up high. Dave, stop it. You're in church. <laughs> hands up. All right. If you're, I want you all to know that I prepared this message with you guys in mind. So even though it's for the adults, it's because of you that I've put this together the way I have. And I had our younglings in mind as I worked on this message. Because today we're going to talk about influence. I would like to echo the statements from the opening video. You only have one life. If your life was completely dedicated to God, what kind of difference would you make? Imagine if everyone in this room lived wholeheartedly for Jesus. What difference could there be in a year? What difference could there be in 10 years? How different, kids? How different would your school be if you lived wholeheartedly for Jesus Christ? If our youth group was completely dedicated to God, how different would this church be if we were all in? If everyone in this place right now was completely dedicated to God, how would our community be different? How would your family be different? How would you be different? How can you live for God? Are you willing to allow Him to work through you with intentionality, with transparency, so that you can influence others with His love? I think it's time for us to be the example of unity. It's time for us to be an influence for God because we were never meant to be alone. Psalm 133, David talks about the excellency of brotherly unity. And he says this in verse 1. He says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. He goes on to explain just how good and how amazing it is. It's like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard. Ladies, you'll never get to experience that. It's true. All right? <laughs> but in the Old Testament, as they would anoint someone with oil, they didn't just put a little dab on their forehead. It was a pouring. And, and, and David's like, it's like precious oil being poured over you, coming down, coming on your beard. It's refreshing. Even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. It comes onto your clothes in a dry and arid, humid, hot place. Not humid, because, but in a dry place. This oil coming down will be refreshing to your body. Continues on, he says, it's, It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. You see, unity is something that has been shared throughout Scripture. 
And I want you to keep this psalm in mind. I want you to keep, especially that first verse, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Keep that in mind as we share with you this morning. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you that we can come together, that we can be here as one, that we can, we can share in your word, that we can worship together, that we can mourn together, that we can celebrate together. And Lord, as we look into this kind of final phase of of what unity is and how we're never meant to be alone as we look at influence specifically as we look at our own personal individual influence in this place and in the community where you have placed us i pray that you will just speak to our hearts today it's in your son's name we pray amen i have a few questions for you what are your circles of influence what is your network some would say most of you you would say that your network, your circle of influence starts where? What's today? Fam- family Sunday. So your family, your circle of network would be church. What else would your circle of network be? Family. Okay, what else? Work, your job, your business, um, your co-workers, your neighborhood, your community, your school. So, so we think about that. And, and one of the questions that we ask in our CPR groups every week at the end of the evening is, who will you share this story with? And I bring that up because I've had people tell me, not from my group, mind you, but from other groups, um, I've had people say, hey, I don't like that question. I really don't know anybody. That's what we say. I really don't know anybody. I'm in a place in life where, where most of the people I know know Jesus already. I really don't know anybody. Did you know that in your immediate circle, family, friends, coworkers, and community, you are just, bare minimum, you are connected to about 250 people from that community, that network, that circle. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter how long you've worked somewhere. But just in those, those four areas, family, friends, co-workers, and community, you, you are somehow connected, two or three degrees of separation, as it were, to a minimum of 250 people. What that means is you know people. What that means is you have an audience. You have an opportunity to influence people for Jesus Christ. So we don't get to say, I don't know anyone. We don't get to say that anymore. But then there are my younglings, my kids, are, are under 18, if you will. And you may be thinking, well, I'm just a kid. Who, who can I tell about Jesus? What can I do for God? No one really listens to kids today. Hey, did you know that teenagers are, are one of the strongest buying powers in the marketplace you have a voice and to that i want to respond with first timothy 4 12 it says let no one look down on your youthfulness but rather in speech conduct love faith and purity show yourself an example of those who believe young people you have more influence than you may think you do but sometimes we can't help it Sometimes we look at how big our world is and we doubt our influence. We get overwhelmed by the things going on in our world. We doubt our influence. What about you? Have you ever doubted your influence? Influence and how it works. I think about a story that I share with my students this time of year. The story is true and it takes place during the Civil War. In the story, there are two young boys One was a black slave from the north, 
and one, or one was a black slave from the South, and one was a farmer from the North, both fighting for the Union, but in separate units. They meet when they are separated from their units on the battlefield. One of them lay injured, and the other one, well, the war is in his backyard. So when he comes upon this boy, he decides to take him home, and along with his mother, they care for him. During this time, they share stories of their past. The boy who was a slave shared how Lincoln had visited close to where his unit was fighting, and he was able to not only hear him speak, but he was able to touch his hand. And of course, this impressed the other young boy. Finally, he was healthy, and the two young boys were able to return to their battlefield. However, as they set out to return to their units, they were captured. They were transported to Andersonville, a prisoner camp in the South. If you know much about Andersonville, you can probably predict the outcomes. Upon their arrival, they were separated. As they were separated, they grabbed each other's hands as they were pulling them apart. They were screaming and crying. And the young boy from the North said, let me touch the hand that touched the hand of Abraham Lincoln one last time. The young slave did not survive. He would be hung the next day. The other young boy would, although when the camp was freed, he was starved almost to the point of death. The book ends with a daughter sitting on a man's lap, and he says, Now you've touched the hand that touched the hand that touched the hand of Abraham Lincoln. And so it should be with us. You see, when people look at our lives, they should say, I touched the life that touched the life that touched the life that shared the gospel with you. And while that story's legacy continues from generation to generation, how much more does our influence need to be? You see, 70% of the world's population identifies themselves as non-Christians. Our influence must extend not only from one generation to the next within our families, but outward to the world. As I was thinking about what I was about to share, and earlier John shared about <clears throat> the pain's wishes, I couldn't help but think he got it. He knew that the only thing that matters when we pass is the influence and the legacy that we leave behind. And so I want to share another story with you. This is a couple. The son was a preacher who chose a different path, or that he was the son of a preacher who chose a different path. He, was the path. he chose the path of an engineer. Like most engineers, he was quiet, reserved, and reflective. And he married a PE teacher. And like most PE teachers, she was loud and boisterous and outspoken. Whether they saw a need or whether they felt the calling of God, they began to serve in their local church, where his father was the pastor. Long before youth ministry was cool, this was back in the early 70s, and long before ministering to youth was even considered a thing, that's exactly what this couple would do. Their doors would always be open, whether they were taking rowdy high schoolers on trips or sending them off to Bible college. Their finances and their time would always be used to minister to others. In their 20s, they served the youth, and 50 years later, in their 70s, 
you would see her running down the hall with a camel made out of wood between her legs, racing the three through five-year-olds. You see, she was teaching them about Egypt and the chariots. One of the many couples that this couple would reach was the girl who was being raised by a single mother at a time when that was not okay in society, and a boy who had recently lost his father long before he ever should. Somehow, those two ended up in their youth group, or perhaps we could say by the grace of God, and through their support, they would encourage this young couple to attend Bible college, even though at that time they were told Bible college wasn't for married couples. And against the odds, that couple would graduate. They would enter full-time ministry, and they would serve, and he would preach wherever they were called, whether it be in the cornfields of Illinois or the cotton fields of Alabama or the beaches of Florida. And through them, the gospel would be carried outwards to Philippines and Haiti through their children. And through their grandchildren, it would be carried to the deserts of Africa and the green fields of Ireland. And it would be carried from the slums of Mexico to the grand city of London. And through their ministry and their children's ministry, girls and boys would grow up to attend Bible college and serve in churches as music and youth and preaching ministers and missionaries who continue to carry the gospel around the world. And that is just one of the hundreds of families that that couple would touch as they serve God faithfully in their local church. They weren't in paid vocational ministry, yet they knew that they had a part to play in the kingdom. And so their ripple effect continues. Though their physical family be small, as they had no children of their own, their Christian family will need a banquet hall in heaven to gather around and their ripple effect will extend farther than any eye can see. Through them, many can say that I was touched by the life that was touched by the life that was touched by the life that was touched by Jesus, and so their legacy will continue. And just like that couple, we all have a part to play in his kingdom. I believe that Mordecai's words continue to echo to us just like they did to Esther in Esther 4.14. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Thank you, Mitzi. The uh, um, couple she was referring to was not her her mom and dad, but it was a couple at their church who also had invested in myself and Andy and Lindsay in other areas uh, at that time as well. Um, I got to work with uh, the PE teacher at Rockledge High School together, and she was just as crazy then as she was uh, at church. So you don't ever know the influence that you're going to have on a young person, on an old person, as long as we're reflecting Christ. And if we talk about influence today, I know you've all heard that Billy Graham passed away this week. Some people liked him, some people didn't. Some people agreed with him, some people didn't. And whether you liked him or didn't, whether you agreed with him or didn't, because I've heard a lot of different things concerning him. But one thing that I know, when you consider his influence and the lives that he has touched, and he got me to thinking, 
As of 2008, Billy Graham's estimated lifetime audience, including radio and television broadcast, topped 2.2 billion people. That means that approximately 2.2 billion people have heard the gospel from Billy Graham's mouth. That's hard to wrap your mind around. It's said that Billy Graham has shared the gospel with more people than anyone else in history. And my question is, who shared the gospel with him? I was glad to find out someone else asked the same question, and it was relatively easy to find. It was actually a series of events that's been traced over the years, and it starts out with one volunteer Sunday school teacher. There's an old saying, you can't count the apples, or excuse me, you can count the apples on the tree, but who can count the apples in a seed? And it starts with the influence of a single person. Take Edward Kimball, for example. He's the first gentleman in the, uh, my top, your top left-hand corner. Uh, maybe you've never heard of him, but that's okay because most people have never heard of him. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who not only prayed for the hyper boys in his class, but he made it priority, his priority, to use his influence as their Sunday school teacher. And his goal was to win each one of them to the Lord personally. He decided he was going to be intentional with every single last one of them. Surely he thought about throwing in the towel from time to time. I don't know if you know this, but if you've ever taught the Bible to young boys, it's, it's a lot like herding cats. You just, kind of, you just kind of got to scoop them back in and try to get them to refocus for about 25, 30 seconds at a time. And uh, some of you know what I say is true. But one young, one young man in particular didn't seem to understand what the gospel was all about. And so Kimball went to the shoe store one Saturday where he was stocking shelves. And he, he shared with this young man and really broke down the gospel so he could understand it and understand the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That young man was Dwight L. Moody. That'd be the handsome fella with the really nice beard, top center. He didn't look like that when he shared the gospel with him, but he did later on in life. So he shared with Dwight Moody. Some of you may have heard of him, but in, in his lifetime, Moody is said to have touched two continents for God with thousands professing Christ through his ministry. But the story doesn't end there. You see, it's actually where it starts to begin. Under Moody, another man's heart was touched for God. That man is Wilbur Chapman, the handsome, distinguished gentleman on the top right-hand corner. Will, Will, Wilbur Chapman became the evangelist who preached to thousands. He traveled around, and that's what he did. And one day, a professional baseball player who happened to have a Sunday off attended one of Chapman's meetings. I don't have a picture for this gentleman, but his name was Billy Sunday. Some of you may be familiar with him. And he was converted. And Billy Sunday actually quit the baseball team and became a part of Chapman's team, sharing the gospel. And then Chapman accepted a pastorate at a large church, and Billy Sunday began his own evangelistic crusades and, and, um, and going from town to town. And then during that time, another young man was converted. His name is Mordecai Ham. That's the gentleman down on the bottom left-hand picture is Mordecai Ham. He was a scholarly, dignified gentleman who... Actually, one of my favorite stories about Mordecai as I was looking into all this, he would, he would rent a hearse and drive through town that had the information about the revival meetings that he was going to preach on the hearse. I thought, man, that's cool. <laughs> We're going to see about working that into the budget next year. I'm kidding. No. But I just, it's like, this was a long time ago, and this guy's like, hey, I'm going to rent a hearse and drive through town 
letting people know that there's, there's a revival meeting coming and that they should come check it out. Nothing gets your attention like a hearse driving through town. Well, this series of meetings that Ham was doing came into a place known as Charlotte, North Carolina, and that's where a sandy-haired, lanky young man who was then in high school vowed that he would never go to hear that man preach. But Billy Frank, there in the bottom, as his family called him, eventually went. You see, at his first meeting, Ham announced that he knew for a fact there was a place across the street from the school that was less than reputable and that the high school boys would would skip out and go visit the house across the street. So in retaliation of these remarks, some of the students decided they would go interrupt these revival meetings and cause a disturbance. Billy Frank, like most high schoolers, thought, I'm going to go see what happens. This could be fun to watch. Well, that night he goes, but instead of being impressed by the shenanigans, he was intrigued by the gospel message that he heard. He returned another night, and eventually he responded to the invitation, and eventually Billy Frank became known as Billy Graham, the man who would not only speak with the Queen of England, but do it regularly. He talked personally with every U.S. president since World War II, up to and including Donald Trump. Billy Graham has often said, whether the story of Christ is told in a huge stadium or across the desk of a powerful leader, or shared with a golfing companion, it satisfies a common hunger. All over the world, whenever I meet people face to face, I am made aware of this personal need among the famous and successful, as well as the lonely and obscure. You see, because of the influence of one man, Billy Graham became the evangelist who is claimed to preach to more people than any other person who ever lived, including the Apostle Paul. Now, the neat thing is you, can, you don't have to stop there with Mordecai and Billy Sunday and all these other guys, because we can trace back this trail all the way to Jesus' ministry. And when you do that, and that brings us into the mix, and you think about how far-reaching Christ's message has gone, and how it's gone under the influence of one person to another, the way it was intended from the very beginning. Jesus said to his disciples, I have shared with you, you go. And share this with others. You see, the thing I like about Billy Graham's story is this whole chain of events was triggered by a Sunday school teacher's concern for a group of boys that, especially at a time, were mostly overlooked. And if they were any kind of trouble, they were usually just put out somewhere. But he chose to invest in them instead. If you're like most people, you've served in some capacity. And maybe you've wondered at times if you were making a real difference or not. Maybe you've thought about quitting because you didn't think you were making any difference. Maybe you've thought about teaching a Sunday school class, but you couldn't see the value in the time you would spend preparing for just a few kids. The next time you're tempted to give up or maybe not even start something that could honor God, please remember that Edward Kimball, whose persistence and faithfulness was it tremendously paid off in just the life of a small group of young boys. I think the story would have looked differently if Kimball had not taken that one Saturday to seek out a young Dwight Moody while he was stocking shelves in the back of a shoe store. Those men may have never heard the gospel. Yes, you can count the apples on a tree, but only God knows how many apples are in a single seed. 
I want to encourage you to do your part in the kingdom and trust God for the results. This message is not about Billy Graham, in case you got sidetracked. It's about our influence. You're here today because someone invested in you the same way that someone invested in Dwight L. Moody. You're here today because someone's influence in your life was greater than something else that may have been influencing your life. I want you to think about that person or those people. For me, I have have this picture that I keep in my office. You guys will never meet this couple. It's Max and Rosabelle Haven. A few of you actually had the opportunity to know them, but this is Max and Rosabelle Haven. They were a couple that when I met them, I was in my early 20s, and, well, they were ancient. <laughs> I don't know how to judge age, but when you're 20, everybody over 25 is old. So, But I walked into a church not wanting to be there, expecting to be dismissed, and instead, Rosabelle walked up and grabbed my hand and said, Hey, we're glad you're here. We've been expecting you. I said, you don't even know me. She said, nonetheless, we've been expecting you. She drug me down to the second row, brought me in to sit between her and her husband, Max, and I worshiped with them. Then she said, hey, I prepared Sunday supper for you. That's really odd in our culture today because no senior citizen is going to say to someone in their early 20s that they've never met before, follow me home. Okay, (laughs) it's true. It doesn't happen. It doesn't. And they said, follow us home. We want to feed you. I was like, man, they they let me sit with them. Now they're going to go feed me. So I went and I had lunch with them. I tried to leave. It was time to leave. I said, hey, thank you. Uh, It was great to, to hang out with you. And she grabs my hand again. She said, hey, we'll see you next Sunday. And I was stammering out something about trying to be noncommittal. And she wouldn't let go of my hand. She's like, no, we'll see you next Sunday. I was like, well, well, I'll see what I can do. And I left, and I actually went back the next Sunday and sat with her again. But it all started because Max and Rosabelle Haven influenced me. They had my undivided attention. I couldn't figure out for the life of me why these folks would want to hang out with somebody like me. But there were several Sundays where I spent time with them. The neat story, I told this story years ago here at this church on an Easter Sunday And I had someone come up to me later and say, hey, you didn't finish your story. And I said, well, what do you know about my story? I don't even hardly know you. And Mike Pittenger said, well, what you need to know is that I married Christy Haven. Rosabelle is Christy's grandmother. Matthew and Andrew's great-grandmother. And I had been Matthew and Andrew's youth minister for about a year at that time. And so you never know how influence is going to work. I know, right? <laughs> there's, there's a lot more to that story, and I could tell it for days. But you never know how your influence is going to work. Think about, I just want to take a few minutes and gather your thoughts and think about the person or the people that are the reason you're here, that influenced you at some point. And as you think about that person, I want you to think about the things that we've discussed over the last month. Think about what it means to be isolated. Think about the times in your life where maybe you were injured. Maybe you, you felt you didn't have any identity. Maybe you were just you couldn't realize that you had influence 
on someone else. You see, when we're isolated, we don't allow these things in our lives and we live a life that's devoid of real relationship. And we don't come together. And Satan loves to trip us up like that. Oh, you're better off alone. No, we were never meant to be alone. We aren't the way we're supposed to be when we get isolated. We're not the way we're supposed to be when we allow injury to overcome our lives. We become a shadow of ourselves. No one gets to know who you really are when you try to, to build a fence and keep people out or what, when you don't share with people what you deal with, when you don't share with people the injuries and the hurt that, you ha- that are happening in your life. I think at some point in time, we all find ways to isolate ourselves. We all find ways to, to keep ourselves alone, even from our parents, from our brothers or sisters, from our family, from our church, from our friends. But there's an answer to that. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 says this. It says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the, other, for the interest of others. We were never meant to be alone. Consider what's kept you from being as close to God as you could be. Selfishness, greed, pride, lust, hatred, jealousy, apathy, laziness, all of these and more like them can be summed up in one word, sin. But the good news is that God provided an answer so that we can deal with sin. And that's 1 Peter 2.24. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. You do not need to be isolated. You do not need to live with injury alone. And 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Man. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, we talk about unity. Everybody says, I want unity. But unity takes action. And you're right, we, I, I firmly believe we are not meant to be alone. But sometimes we prefer it because when I'm alone, I don't have to trust you with myself. If we confess, He will forgive. If we confess, He will restore. See, the thing with confession is it, it takes at least one other person. See, we are meant to be alone. Confess. What do you need to confess? What are you clinging to? What is keeping you from confessing that sin. 1 Peter 5, 5-6 through 6 says, All of you clothe yourselves. Next slide, that one's different. Oh. oh, it's in the middle. I'm sorry, it's in the middle of the first slide. I got, thank you. Glad you're here. I got completely lost there. After the comma, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. The important part's all bold. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, 
that he may exalt you at the proper time. So that's the other thing about that confess. It requires humility. We have to humble ourselves. Take some time right now and thank God for the relationships you have. Thank God for the influence that's been in your life. Ask God now as we prepare for our response time how he can use you to influence someone else. Thank God for being faithful to forgive us. As we come to our response time, will you stand and just worship the God who rescues us from isolation? Respond to his love, respond to his mercy and grace, and thank him for those who have influenced you. It's been great to be here with you all this morning to share God's word with you and to worship with you, but now it's time to go. As you go this morning, in case you missed it, I just want to encourage you in this. Sometimes you may tell yourself, I can't do it. Well, guess what? Yes, you can. God has a plan for every one of us. And as Christians, we're to make a difference in the world. Don't try to be like other Christians. That's not what he's called us to do. He called us to be like Christ. You might be the only Christian in your family, and God can use you as a catalyst that changes the whole course of someone's life. You could be the one who influences one person, and then that person influences two more people, and it just keeps going. If you choose to be a reflection of Christ, you may introduce millions of lives to the King of glory and not even know it. Don't dwell on the situation you're in now. Don't think, I'm not good enough, but trust in the Lord and do His will. There are so many ways that we can make a change in the world. And young people, just doing something positive can do a lot. Let God use you by letting Him be in full control of your life because He knows what's best for you. You may never get to speak to a queen. You may never meet a president. But never let anyone say you can't do it or it's not going to work. Catherine of Siena said, if it's God's plan for your life, it can never be stopped. Be who God meant you to be, and you will set the world on fire. As you go today, commit to God's will. Help others. Volunteer, give, teach, be a friend, be an encourager, and more. Be bold, because He is always by your side. Always remember, someone is going to die today without knowing Christ. You can be the influence for Christ at your job or your school or in your family that's going to strike the spiritual spark.